pays pals, pay pals, pay interviews, awesome people who happen to be his pals, pay pals. Hey, you are listening to Pay Pals, and today I am interviewing my friend Mark. Mark is just one of those guys that is always shamelessly himself. And the reason I say this is that the first few times I've met him and I saw the sandals he was wearing, it only led me to the thought that, wow, this guy just does not care. And honestly, that is a very magnetic trait in a person. It makes them open-minded and honest in the best of ways. Mark runs a sleep company called Mantis Sleep, and they are producing the world's best eye mask, to use their tagline. He's the CEO, but he runs it with his business partner, and they've done that for five years. Recently, they've turned into an eight-figure company. Each year, they're rolling out more and more sleep products, such as blue blocking glasses and travel pillows and earplugs. As someone who isn't the greatest sleeper and uses those products nightly, I love their mission. The reason I wanted to interview my pal Mark is because we always have a lot to talk about and at a very fast pace as you'll hear. Today we were a little bit short on time for the interview but I think one of the takeaways is that Mark is a super information troll just like me. We geek out on things that we can only find in random quarters of the internet. For example, the perfect white leather shoe, allocation of money should go into index funds, what the hell retinol is and why you should use it on your face. We talk about Mark's new journey to fatherhood and what he wants to teach his son, what inspired him to move to Singapore in his 20s and the best ways he has recently spent his money. Thanks, Mark. Hey, thanks for coming, man. Hey, man. It's such a pleasure to be here. Oh, is it? I am so honored. Your top five pal. <laughs> top five. I made it. Yeah. Made it in life. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things about you. That's what I wanted to talk to you about. Okay. Your sleep company and your business, although I know that's what you're more familiar to be talking about, is probably not the most interesting thing about you. Well, it's pretty interesting. But... It's all right, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I may have a more interesting personal life. No, I don't think so. Anyway, but maybe we can get a brief background on you. You know, uh, we were just talking beforehand. And yeah, sometimes I forget that you were born in Beijing. I was not born in Beijing. That's <laughs> so, good. So that's why good. we probably forgot. That's why you're I, number five. <laughs> I was born in Xi'an. Oh, did you know that's my ancestral home? Oh, I, I've forgotten. You fucking forgot, yeah. <laughs> It's the land of the terracottas. Yeah, I know that. But it's also the land of the quos. The land of the quos. Is it really? Something like that, yeah. Xi'an also has really good pomegranate. I don't know if you know. I grew up eating pomegranate and it was very cheap because it's locally grown. And then it was not until that I left that I realized, oh, wow, pomegranate is an expensive fruit, apparently. It's an expensive, fancy fruit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When did you leave? When I was eight years old. 1997. Oh, okay. So then just kind of the typical parents are wanting to move and better job opportunities type of thing? No, because back back in the 90s, in China, in communist China, there's no information. Things are very much closed off. The only reason why my dad had a thought of immigrating was because my grandfather used to work as a professor in one of the big universities in Xi'an. He had a lot of students that uh, sort of had the opportunity to go abroad or something like that in the 90s. And so they were telling him, pretty good outside. He told my dad that. My dad was very much struggling with the system, uh, as the saying goes. He wanted to, yeah, so then he wanted to find better opportunities. And yeah, so at the time, it was a great timing, too, because it was right before the dot-com bust. So many companies were looking for software developers, which is what my dad used, like technical skills, immigration, as a way to get into Canada. Oh, okay. So then that would be something like the equivalent of a H-1B. Perhaps. Highly skilled visa, something like Highly that. Highly skilled visa. Yeah. There, there were People were looking for developers. And my yeah. dad was a developer. Okay. So. so he made the transition from an engineer to a redneck at some point. He's not a redneck, <laughs> but he does have a red truck, a red big Ram 1500 truck and a Jeep. And a tattoo. And a tattoo of an eagle. <laughs> so it's a very... 
Uh, they're in the U.S. now, so he, they're, they're dual citizenship, American and Canadian. Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, so then you landed there when you were eight. Were you fluent in English at all? No, couldn't speak a word. A word? Really? Not a word. So then ESL kid. Yes. And when did that start to, I don't know, localize? Uh, I don't remember. It was, I, I, I remember struggling real hard at the beginning trying to learn English um, yeah. in elementary school. I was just sitting there squinting, frowning, trying to understand what's going on. That was a, a struggle, but I think it took a couple of years for me to really feel like I didn't have to think so much about speaking. Mm. Do you feel like you were bullied because of that? I was bullied, but I fought back. So, oh. yeah, I always fought back. So they learned to not bully you. you know, who was the famous person? I think it was Mike, Mike Tyson or somebody, or maybe it was 50 Cent. I don't know. Somebody said, in the playground, the kid that wants to avoid conflict and try to be conflict-free and avoid are the ones who get end up getting bullied the most. So you got to fight back. Otherwise, you just get keep getting bullied. You're, you're a big fan of Mike Tyson as a 10-year-old? <laughs> no, this is something that I heard later on <laughs> okay. in life. But I think in, it's true, though. Instinctively, I was like, yeah, I need to defend myself. I've seen this in movies. You have to go into prison and make someone your bitch the first day. That's my plan. Yeah. <laughs> that was understand. my game plan. I understand. Yeah. In elementary school. But it, it was like, it was weird because it was like a poor area. Obviously, we were very poor going from communist China to Canada in 1997. I think my dad's net worth from working 10 plus years in China when it was converted ended up being like 9,000 Canadian dollars in 1997. So, you know, we're living in a poor neighborhood. Damn. Clothes from the donation drive. Like that's where all my clothes really? came from. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. And, but that neighborhood was all full of immigrants poor immigrants but it was like immigrants bullying immigrants yeah <laughs> what's the hierarchy of immigrants i don't know but i was getting bullied by filipino kids before the white kids even <laughs> i didn't even, i didn't even make it to the white kids okay i was getting bullied by the filipinos oh man well now you live in taiwan and it's the opposite how about that no i, I don't bully anybody yeah but they get bullied here yeah not by you not by me usually maybe by whoever helps uh hires them yeah i don't have one <laughs> okay. Not yet. Not yet. You will though. We know each other because we are living together in Taiwan and kind of friends. Yes. Or acquaintances. Kind of. <laughs> you think I'm a friend. I think you're an acquaintance, but it's fine. <laughs> Sometimes. So for me, it's been a pretty circuitous route for me to end up living here for three years. Yeah. Uh, I imagine it must be similar for you because from the get-go, you start in Xi'an. You go to Canada. And then, um, so how did you end up here? Well, I left Canada when in my early 20s and I had gone to Singapore for four years trying to start a couple of businesses working for a company called Asus there. And my business partner, German dude, uh, decided to come to Taiwan. His long-term girlfriend is Taiwanese. I've always wanted to come to Taiwan because I had visited a couple of times before. And, you know, our business is location independent. Right. I like this place. I thought the girls were pretty. I was single at the time. He was coming here <laughs> so we can be in the same place working together on the business. And there's pretty girls and good food. So why not? Easy decision. Uh, Yeah, I was excited to come. Why did you go to Singapore in the first place? I wanted to just get away from Canada to see Asia. I had done a quick four-month school exchange in Hong Kong when I was going through university in Canada. And that was the that was the first time I've been to back to Asia since I left China in 1997. And I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. This is awesome. I should get to know more about Asia. And I was trying to find a place in Asia where we spoke English and there's job opportunities. Singapore seemed like the natural place. Part of the reason for that was also because a buddy of mine, high school buddy who passed away from leukemia in my early 20s or our early 20s. And that was a catalyst. I had already been very unsatisfied working as an accountant after graduating in Canada. Felt like my soul was dying every day that I went to work. Yes. And so I didn't really know what the answer was. Entrepreneurship is not really part of my DNA or was not. Uh, nobody came to me and said that was a viable path. So I was, I just wanted to go on a discovery kind of journey, but I was scared, obviously. And, but that, that was one of the catalysts that drove me because I thought, hey, if I was going to die tomorrow, I didn't want to spend the last days of my life working as an accountant at Ernst & Young. 
So I left. We have that in common. Yeah. What, Ernst and Young? No, you were working in law, weren't you? All right, none of that in common. But the part that the part that I was a corporate lawyer, right? Okay. And then I just kind of figured that, well, this is not it. Yeah. Living a life in the cubicle is not what I want out of life. Right. So then for me, it was just like, yeah, I guess I better go. And then also similar to you is like I was able to have that ability because of business. So Right. Well, I didn't have a business back then. I just, I found a job first. Oh, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a couple of failed businesses. You're so risk averse. What was your first failed business? I did a uh, iPhone case iPhone skin raised five thousand dollars on Kickstarter. Okay, sold like well for a little while, but I didn't really know what, what I was doing. Did you lose money? No, I made money, but very little. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. What's number two? Well, actually, before this one, uh, even back in Canada, I had started a couple of businesses like affiliate sites and wholesale affiliate stuff. So I want to explain what an affiliate site is. It's basically me driving traffic to another service, and if people sign up to that service, they get a commission, or I get a commission. So if you're selling like widget A, service A, you come to my website, I write a review. A recommendation, you click through, you go to that site, you purchase something, I get a cut of that purchase from the site. But this was like in 2000, 2006. Mm. I don't know if you remember, in 2006, Google AdWords was two cents a click. So you could be a dumbass like me and just set up any random website, and you could be making money. It was like right time. There's no competition, very little competition. But I mean, I did that for a while, didn't really think it was a thing. And then when I went to Singapore, I started a phone case business, I started a t-shirt business, started an air freshener business, a whole bunch of businesses. What is the motivation to keep starting businesses? Didn't really, I don't enjoy people telling me what to do. Absolutely hate it. Okay. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how good the job is. Didn't really, really enjoy people telling me what to do. Now you're CEO. I guess so. Yeah. No one fucking tells you shit. No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. Just your wife. actually. <laughs> it doesn't work like that because. No, how? How does it work? I thought that when I became my own boss, nobody would be able to tell me what to do. And in some sense, that's true. But also there's a lot of responsibility for the team. And so it's not like I'm just walking around going, F you, I can do whatever the fuck I want. It's different. You're, but we don't have investors, so at least I don't have to answer to that. But I am responsible for the team. And we are also kind of serving our customers, as cliche as that sounds, but it is true. So it's not like I'm like, I can do whatever I want. It's important to be sensitive and pay attention to what both the customers want as well as how the team is. Yeah, it's not maybe what I thought it would be. How long have you been CEO? Because that, well, that train I, I of mean, thought. I was CEO first from day one, right? Like oh, when yeah. it was me and my uh -huh. business partner, Ben. <laughs> so I was oh, the CEO. Okay. <laughs> yeah. CEO of what? Let's get into uh, what you're doing these days. So we primarily run a company these days called Mantis Sleep. Yeah. We make sleep masks, sleep accessories, and I am the CEO of that. <laughs> yes, from day one. You made that <laughs> from very day clear. One, yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. It's, it's pretty cool. We're, we're doing something important where we're here to empower light sleepers to sleep better. I've been a light sleeper for most of my life, been using sleep masks since I was 14 years old. Yeah. And we thought we could do something better. And uh, so our mission is to now to design accessories to empower light sleepers to sleep more, do more, solving my own problem. I like this because it's actually, you're one of the few people that I know that actually is trying to solve their own problem and created a business out of it. Yes, but it didn't start off like this. Our, the other business that we still have running was purely for generating cash. I think it's like the Maslow hierarchy, hierarchy of needs, right? Like when I, when I was poor, it didn't really matter what we did as long as we made money. But it's, once the other business was starting to do a little better, we were getting some money. Then Ben and I sat down and was like, what do we really want to do in life? Something that's actually meaningful, maybe a legacy, something interesting. That's how we transitioned over to Mantis Sleep. That's how you transitioned to Mantis Sleep? It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to do follow my passion, solve my own problem. But we had already had some money before we started this. If we didn't have any money, like before I, I would have just done anything to, to make money basically in business. Except work for someone else, huh? Except, well, yes, yeah, to be, yeah, yeah. Except to work for somebody else. What would it take for you to work for someone else? Well, maybe if you offer me a job, I hear your business is pretty sweet. Can't afford you. <laughs> or not willing to afford you, I'll put it that give me, way. Give me some equity, you know? No, 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 I'm not willing to damage my own margins like that. I don't think so. How are things going with Manta? It's going really well. 
<laughs> you want me to talk more about it? Share some numbers? <laughs> um, well, we got 20-some-ish employees. We're making an eight-figure business. We're growing year after year. We're doing interesting products. Everybody's, as far as I can tell, having a good time. It's mission-driven. And um, yeah, it's not bad. Pays the bills. Is everyone on your team also a poor sleeper? Not everybody, but a lot of them. Is that part of your interview process? We ask them this. How well do you sleep? Do you take afternoon naps? Because I believe, this is something, a uh, personal belief that is translated into the business. I believe you cannot unlock your full potential unless you're taking a daily nap every single day. This is how our systems are wired. Okay. It's almost universal. So people who will often say, well, you know, I don't feel like taking a nap or I'm not used to taking a nap. It's just because they've not really gotten into the habit and or they're using substances like coffee to mask that tiredness. The natural circadian rhythm of our body, you do get a lull after lunchtime. And if you take a nap, it's like having a second morning essentially, sure. you take a nap. Sure. And uh, so I truly believe that is something that you have to do to unlock your full potential. I mean, I get the life quality change, the amount of concentration and creativity that I've been personally able to experience as a result of being able to take naps is phenomenal. And we live what we preach, right? Like all of our mm -hmm. team members, the ones who are in the office that we have. You take force naps. them to take naps, yeah. We don't force them. Everybody <laughs> just wants to take naps because really? you get okay. tired. And then all the remote team members, which is most of our team members, they can obviously take naps and do what they got to do. You know, one of the things that interested me the most in sleep hygiene, sleep habits, yeah. is just hearing this one phrase is sleep is a force multiplier. Yeah. And then, you know, just hearing you talk about that is like, it reminds me of like, yeah, because when I sleep better, when I sleep, okay, when I sleep eight hours a day, shut it down. I could do anything. Yeah. When I sleep six hours a day, it's a, it's a struggle. Yeah. And it is sometimes a I used to have yeah. to use yeah. And light sleepers struggle with this. And so one of the deep struggles and pains light sleepers go through is a real lack of control. Like when you sleep well and you feel powerful, energetic, you feel like it doesn't really matter what the hell is going on in life. You can go and take on the challenges. But when you're groggy and you're tired and it rolls forward, you can't sleep consistently. It doesn't really matter what's going well in life. Life just kind of sucks. So it's like really yeah. the base layer of happiness, of has success in everything and anything you do in life. I, I believe that. Well, health, right? Yeah. And sleep is a huge part of it. Sleep is health. Yeah. I hate the hustle mentality. Yeah. The hustle culture is absolutely idiotic, right? Like stuff yeah. like, you know, Gary, Gary V has come out since to say, well, he's not really saying everybody should be sleeping four to five hours. I don't know what the heck he is saying. But this whole <laughs> hustle thing is like, you're just working more time. Like you're fooling yourself. Indiscriminate action is a form of laziness, right? If you're just going, ah, I'm ah. gonna work 20 hours a day. You're just doing shit work for like 19 of those because you're tired. It's just motion. It's just motion. Yeah. To create real value, you have to get rest. Yeah. Okay. CEO of a sleep company, can you maybe give us a recipe for great sleep? There's a couple of things. There's temperature. You want to sleep in a cool room versus a warm room. Helps you sleep better. Light, blackout curtains, blackout curtains, or use our product, Mantis Sleep Mask, or whatever <laughs> sleep mask of your choice. Yes. Uh, block out those little uh, blinkers and lights in your house so it's dark inside. So you have temperature, you have light, have a consistent pattern. You'll notice this the older you get. So whether it's the weekend or not, try to go to bed at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, coffee, caffeine has a, a half uh, life of like six or eight hours or something like that. So don't drink coffee after uh, 12 noon. Basic tips like that and, you, and you're good to go. The, the only thing I would say is the other aspect of it is 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 the mind. It's sort of like you got the you got the five senses. You can you can do things to engage better sleep through the five senses. Like you can do aromatherapy with some lavender in terms of sight. You can block out the light in terms of temperature. You can make keep your room cool. But if you're stressed out all the time, if you're thinking about stuff all the time, it doesn't really matter what you do. You're not going to be able to fall asleep. So obviously there's an element there to whether it's whatever it is that you got to do jerk off or go out for a walk to reduce stress mm -hmm. do that because otherwise you're not going to be able to sleep even if it's in complete darkness okay that's pretty much it would you say to completely avoid caffeine for the best sleep hygiene 
Uh, no, I don't think so. I personally don't drink caffeine, but as long as you do it before 12, really, just do it in the morning. It, it shouldn't, it shouldn't really impact you Okay, from a sleep perspective, at least. Okay. Anything else? Don't drink alcohol before you go to bed. So when do you drink it? When you drink it, what it does is it prevents your body from entering deep sleep. So you might drink, drink it and feel a little kind of woozy and wanting to sleep. You, you might be lying there, but the quality of your sleep is absolutely terrible. Oh, so don't drink alcohol or just come to grips that you will have poor sleep. Or just do. accept the fact that you will have poor sleep. Uh, what about other sleep aids. I'm not talking about Ambien. I'm talking about maybe melatonin, sleep gummies, <laughs> weed, THC, you know. Uh, I'm not an expert. Uh, there are there's there are some controversies around how really effective something like uh, oral melatonin or patch melatonin is. I won't speak too much about it because I'm not an expert. But if you do all those other things, you really shouldn't need to use any crutch like sleeping pills or melatonin or CBD or whatever the case might be. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like Manta is going well. As I can relate to, when you're on the grind and the hustle, it's almost like you don't have time to think about other things or think about what fulfills you because you're just kind of worried about what happens day to day. Putting out five strategy and things like that so when you reach a kind of plateau on in a good way then you're able to think about those things uh, have you thought about what's next after your business have you thought about what will give you more purpose and kind of fulfill you more on that front I'm trying to figure it out I'm having a kid soon so I think that will be a big life change I obviously want to spend quality time seeing my son grow up especially those earlier years they go by so fast yeah so I'm not sure if that's gonna give my life purpose but I think that's something that thankfully I think I will be able to have the flexibility and time to be able to be very involved in that process. I'm still trying to figure out, I mean, business and it has been so such a big part of my life for the past 10, 15 years. It's sort of, it's difficult to say that in the future, if I was not doing Mantis Sleep or other entrepreneurial kind of work, what exactly I would be doing to find meaning in life. I'm not sure. I guess that's something I got to figure out as we go. But the next big project is, is having a son. So I'm sure that's going to take quite a bit of time and energy. So I hear. <laughs> so you, yeah. Uh, sorry for your sleep in advance. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. So, yeah, it's not a good, yeah. great representation but, of a sleep uh, company. Uh, actually, it will be the best because you're like, I have an infant child and I still and sleep, I sleep super so. well <laughs> by Manta, manta.com. Yeah. <laughs> let me experience it and then I can report back. Okay, let me know. It'll be a few years for me. Yeah. But what is the name you have picked out? For my son? Yes. Zachary. Zachary. Zachary Zhang. But there's a nickname. Curry. <laughs> what? I thought it was Ziggy. I, was, I wanted to Ziggy, but my wife vetoed that idea. That was... A different name. Ziggy's that cartoon character that's like always sad. Definitely a good idea that she vetoed the name. I didn't know that there was a cartoon character that's always sad. He's like a cartoon character that's like, do you know the Kathy cartoon character? No, that sounds terrible. I'm so glad we didn't name him Ziggy then. Yeah, it's bad. He's like every strip is just like he's getting picked on and bullied and like he's the butt of the joke. That's terrible. Yeah, it's a good thing that our son's name is Zachary then. Yeah, good yeah. thing. ZZ. ZZ. Have you thought about the ways that you're going to try to teach him differently from how your parents raised you? Yeah, we've been reading up on Montessori. As you know, uh, some of our friends have mentioned Montessori. I know a lot of uh, people in our mutual friend group, entrepreneurial group, who have gone through the Montessori programs with their kids. And Tiff and I have been, my wife and I have been reading some books on it, and it seems great. And to sum it up in a nutshell, based on my rudimentary understanding, you basically treat your kids like little adults. You talk to them normal. Mm. You, rather than giving them like toys, you just use everyday items to engage them. We've seen videos of these little girls who are two years old who can, you know, hold up a teacup with the their two fingers and like pour tea and drink tea. Mm -hmm. It's awesome because they go through that process where they get encouraged. And also to not to say you can't do that, you can't do this, but to change the environment so that is enabling so that you can say this is your space, you can explore and do whatever it is that you, you like to do. This is my rudimentary understanding. So we're very interested in this sort of way of teaching and have been definitely reading up on it. And there, ha there are some Montessori um, preschools available 
where we live right now too. So I don't think I understand that. How does how does discipline play into that? How does how do boundaries and you know telling kids what they can and cannot do? How does that play into that? Based on my understanding, there are boundaries, but it's like uh, rather than saying you can't do this, you give them a list of choices within the boundaries that you have set. Uh -huh. You can't cross a road because there's cars going by. You can go ride your bike. You can go eat an apple. You can go sit on the couch. What would you prefer to do? <laughs> Okay. That's my rudimentary understanding. Okay. <laughs> He's not here yet. <laughs> He's not here yet. And we're, and we're still learning. So, yeah. yeah. What are some traits that you want to instill in, in your son? Like specifically? Grit, like persistence. Why do you feel like grit is so important? Because to achieve anything in life is about consistency. I think that our relationship with failure is, is very important. And I hope to instill in, in my kids the fact that failures are, are, are opportunities to learn. Failures are part of the journey. There's so much sort of expectation uh, kind of built in when I was growing up, when many of us are growing up, like failure is bad and, you know, you get embarrassed. You feel like you don't want to try again. That's so detrimental. And it takes, it took, I know for people who are sort of doing what we're doing, entrepreneur, entrepreneurs, it took so many years to unwind that, to be able to go to a place where like, hey, I can, I, I can have the confidence, safety to be able to try and not be judged or mm -hmm. just don't give a damn anymore. Mm -hmm. I really hope to, to instill that in the kids. And that kind of leads into grit, which is like, if you don't perceive failures to be something that is terrible, you just keep doing it. If you're interested in something, keep trying because as you know, any sort of success in life, whether you're going to the gym, you're, you're trying to improve your health, you're trying to make some money, yep. you got to show up day after day. Yep. And it, most people fail because they do it for a little bit and then they just give up. That applies to everything in life. So you just got to show up and that's that's important. Yeah. And also love of learning. I think the school system really kills in children the love of learning, of reading, of trying things. That is something that I hope through our involvement as well as whatever Montessori program or whatever the schooling system we put him through, that he's able to retain that because you and I know learning is such an important aspect. You don't stop learning the moment you go to school. Stops. School kills the joy in learning. And so if there's some way where we can preserve his joy of learning, of reading, of of all this throughout the schooling system, then I think that would be a major accomplishment. Why do you think you still enjoy learning? Well, I didn't when I was going through school, but then after we started do, you know, doing business, it, was, it, it makes sense, right? Because you're like, I want to do something. How do I do it? Not really sure. Then you go out, find information on it. You read up on it. It changes your mind. It changes your actions. You see the results. You're like, wow, this is fun. This is interesting. You, I used to play video games a lot when I was a kid. I don't do it anymore because real life is like a video game. Uh, business is like a, real, like, a, like a video game. You, you learn, right. you input, you see the results. It's fun. I think I enjoy learning because actually for the exact same reason is that I was forced to. You enjoy learning because you were forced to? At first, I did not enjoy it because that's when I uh, when I started learning much more on my own self-learning. That was yeah. when I first became an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. And uh, you don't know shit. Yeah. And the worst case is you don't know that you don't know shit. Right. At least for me, I was like, oh, wow, I really do not know shit. And yeah. I knew that. So then, you know, who can you ask? I, you got to learn who to ask. You got to learn where to find information. You got to learn how to dig it out. You got to learn how to synthesize it. And then you got to learn how to execute. So you're saying the circumstances force you to have to go out and seek out information and learn basically and yeah. as you were going through that transition process then later on the, you started to enjoy it is that what you mean i think that was just like holy shit look how powerful this is yeah yeah look at everything i can create if i can just have this habit and then after you kind of figure out the process is actually not that difficult you can yeah. apply it to everything yeah that's why i know so much about so weird random things that you ask me about right like facial care right and like personal <laughs> finance and like index funds <laughs> because i just apply the same thing i believe in osmosis at first okay and just passively in, in, uh, absorbing 
information, for me, that can be as easy as just going onto a subreddit and like kind of flipping around for a couple of weeks. And honestly, once you do that, you kind of absorb a level of knowledge and like context and background that you wouldn't otherwise. Right. That's a great start. Right. And then after that, after you know, you know, all the keywords, all the reference points, then you can start searching for specific things you want to do. Yeah. So in the subreddit, instead of just scanning through the subreddit each day, you start to do keyword searches. And now you understand all the context. And now you understand how everything is put together. Right. I'll add on to that, which is, I think in terms of learning, at least specifically as applied to entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship, not entrepreneurship, is the mindset change. I I didn't grow up in in a family with entrepreneurs. And so I never considered myself to be a business person for the longest time. But through that, what you were talking about, the osmosis process, I remember in my early 20s, I was listening to a business podcast called Mixergy by Andrew Warner, where he would go and interview a bunch of entrepreneurs. And over the period of a year, year and a half, maybe two years, as I was listening to all these episodes, I was that were coming out every week. I started to realize that these people don't sound much smarter than I am. And yeah. I don't mean that in a demeaning way. It's just like, they sound like normal people. Yeah. Just They just think about things differently. Yeah. That process was the first step. It wasn't you know what marketing tactic, what business idea I had. It was believing that I could be one of these people that were being interviewed. That was the first step, maybe similar to what you're talking about in terms of osmosis. I think it is because you just, you, you said you listened for a year, right? Yeah, just over time. That's a lot of hours actually of just hours. spent thinking in that way, yeah. learning how they think and then just habiting their shoes. Yeah, and then having the realization, the, may, the mental kind of barrier before that I had that I, I was not one of these people to thinking, hey, maybe I could be one of them. Do you feel like you had a kind of imposter syndrome when you were starting out? Yeah, always. I still have feel like I've got Do imposter sy- syndrome, yeah. Really? Well, there's always people who are doing cool things, greater things. Uh, It's inspiring sometimes, but also it's like, wow, dude, what am I doing with my life? You're doing quite well, I think. Uh, Decent. (laughs) Okay, there's my food. It's coming out. Yeah, (laughs) I'm doing all right. (laughs) It's decent. What do you think you would have to do to not have that feeling about yourself? I think it's just over time to understand what it is that you are good at. And I think this confidence develops over time. But I sometimes I still have insecurities. Like when I go and meet super successful entrepreneurs and I'm like, wow, it's so inspiring. It's like so many years that I was I was beating myself up thinking like, how come I can't do that? But then at some point just realizing, damn, there's always going to be somebody out there better, faster, stronger, richer, right, right. whatever the case might be. And it's more about what kind of value can I bring to a relationship or a conversation versus mm. feeling like, oh man, I suck so much that I'm just so intimidated. But I, I still get that some every once in a while, you know? Yeah, I guess I do too. Yeah. But something that helps me not be intimidated is I kind of have this belief. You tell me what you think is that yeah. the highest achieving people, there's something a little bit off about them. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, why are you so driven? <laughs> why are you so driven? It's like, what are you trying to prove? It depends on the person. Okay. It depends on the person. You know, do you do you understand the personality I'm kind of referring to? Like the psycho who <laughs> just keep, keeps going? Um, It's like, um, why are you so driven why uh, yeah why are you so driven (laughs) i don't know but it seems like the most of the really successful people that i meet of course they're driven but they're not the sense that i get is that they're not driven from the perspective of like oh i gotta be better than everybody else they're genuinely fascinated interested they're the sense that i get is that they're little kids who are just curious about the world and they're having a fun time and they want to keep doing more and more of it those are it's not like it's not like oh i need to achieve something i gotta force myself to wake up at 6 a.m every single day and grind 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 that type of driven that seems Ah. unhealthy but the people who are who achieve 
continued success are they, they just love the stuff that they're doing. If they hate it, it's it's kind of hard to force yourself to do something over and over again. Somebody said this, I can't remember who, maybe it's Tim Ferriss or somebody like success is a marathon, not a sprint, yeah. right? So it's it's about being, if you show up every day and you enjoy the process in 10 years, 15 years, I'm sure it doesn't matter what you do, you'll make something out of it. Maybe that's what you mean. I don't know. Would you like your son to be an entrepreneur? I know it's not something you can really define or think about, but like, is that something that you feel like is a mixture of good traits? I think I I think I'm biased as entrepreneurs. I think we obviously think this is the best approach to to life because it's like you know all, all the benefits. But I I wouldn't yeah. want to impose this on my children or anybody. It takes a certain sort of personality, way of thinking, and drive to be an entrepreneur. And I'm not sure if it necessarily is the best thing for everybody. No, I don't think it's suitable for most people. Yeah, you got to be. Weird is the wrong word, but there's a certain, like the, what drove me was because I hated getting instructed. I hated listening to what other people want telling me what to do. Like, so that's kind of weird. Like if you, you got, for me, I hated that. That's enough. an abnormal hatred of authority. Yeah. Yeah. Really have a distaste for authority. So if you don't have that, you're happy. You, you have a job that kind of is pretty interesting, satisfying. You're making a good living. Why bother with entrepreneurship? Hey, 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 see, this is what I was saying about those who achieve the most, that there's something out of the ordinary about them. And right. I don't need necessarily mean in a good way. There's just some trait that they have that is like so far, like standard deviations out of the norm. Right. That their mindset becomes, oh, I have to do this. Yeah. Oh, I have to achieve this. What was it for you? Is it an authority thing? No, I don't think so. I don't, Anything? I didn't really want to be an entrepreneur. I never thought about that. Okay. You know, I've traveled a lot of places. I didn't really, I wasn't really that interested in that either. Yeah. I just kind of I just kind of stumbled into it because I was looking for a way to leave my law job. That's an interesting way to stumble into entrepreneurship. There's a lot of options after leaving your law job. I wanted to do something that I could do at the same time because okay. I wanted to have, you know, the monkey bar thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to have the firm grasp on something in security yeah. before I left. Yeah. I mean, you know, you generally know my story, right? It's just like I wrote a book and then it started selling and then I was like, hey, what if I do this more? Yeah. And then... <laughs> And then yeah. I did it more yeah. and I'm still doing that. Yeah. And then like, it just kind of took off and I didn't have time to think about anything else. So I didn't want to do any of this. It just happened. Okay. That's unusual. I actually feel like that's more common. To stumble into entrepreneurship and be like, oh, okay, I guess I'm doing this now. Really? Because that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you did. It's, because that's I've never what heard, I did. I've never heard a story where somebody just sort of stumbled and be like, ah, okay, this is not bad. I guess I'll just keep doing this. I feel like I hear people that are like, I'll try it. I'll try it out and see how it goes. And then they're like, whoa, there's so much demand. That happens, right? Rarely. <laughs> oh, all right. I'm, I'm in my echo chamber here. So are you. Uh, something we talk about a lot is personal finance. Okay. Maybe we can start by you telling me what is the best thing you spent money on in this past year? Best thing that I spent money on this past year? I don't know. What, that's an that's a interesting question. What's the best thing you've spent on in the last year? Well, I love the cliche answer of travel, but I'm not going to say that. Okay. What are you going to say? I'm going to say the thing that improves my life quality the most yeah. in these past couple of years is, you know, that funny little e-bike that I have? I had the <laughs> I had the honor of riding in the back once. Yeah. It's comfortable, right? Yeah, that's pretty cool. You can see how it's thrilling. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> no, but what, what that does is that allows me to go basically uh, up to like 2.5 kilometers within 10 minutes. Yeah. So basically I can get around anywhere in like zero time. And for people like you and me, we highly value our time, right? Yeah. It's like, I'm not trying to be stuck in transit yeah. in a car or, yeah. you know, in the subway. So yeah. for me, that has improved the quality of my life. I used to do calculations on this because I would think, how long does it take for me to walk to a bike stand, like a U-bike right. stand? Right. And then how long does it take for me to ride? How long does it take for me to return it? Right. 
So then just by getting my own bike, right. I saved two hours a week. So I'll counter that. I'll to share with you one Please. of the, I don't know if it's the best, but one of the better purchases I've made in the past year, which is a pair of Vivo barefoot shoes. They're barefoot shoes. Okay. What does that mean? So they're like flat, very thin sole shoes. So apparently, you know, we evolved to walk on ground on a flat feet. Most of the shoes, like uh, running shoes and walking shoes these days are super padded mm -hmm. and it changes your posture. It weakens your ankle or, and it can lead to knee problems. And so I bought these barefoot shoes and it's sort of like walking barefoot, except there's a thin layer of whatever foam or rubber at the bottom. And uh, I feel the difference. It's okay. great. You can feel the ground, your toes spread apart because a lot of the shoes are like kind of made narrow to look good. So your toes sort of like scrunched up. Scrunched together. up, right. You open up your toes, you feel the ground and it just feels like you're closer to like your, your feet are gripping. I, I don't know what kind of health benefits I, I for myself, I noticed that my right knee used to have discomfort. It's significantly improved since I've been wearing these barefoot shoes. Oh, yeah. So they're great. Do your feet look different? More monkey-like maybe? I think so. Yeah, they, they've done. No, no. Honestly, <laughs> they, they've looked at photos of these uh, like jungle people and right. they look at their, their feet. Looks like a hand, it's, right? It looks like a hand. It's, it's crazy. like spread apart. It's crazy. Yeah. But it's it, the modern people with us putting our foot uh, into these narrow shoes is, is yeah. actually the weird thing. But it looks like hands. It's cr crazy. My, my feet don't look like hands, but maybe it can be another 10 years. <laughs> okay, then by that point, you'll just be barefoot. You know, I used to live in San Francisco. This is actually disgusting now that I think back on it. I used to run barefoot in San Francisco sometimes. Really? Like barefoot. That sounds barefoot. like you could like fracture your heel or something like that. I mean, I was thinking more about stepping in a heroin needle or something. Oh, that's, that's uh, probably worse. Also bad. Yeah. 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 So for me, there was also a, a long period of time where I would only wear zero uh, minimalist shoes, basically, is what you're talking about, right? Well, barefoot no, shoes. Yeah, yeah, barefoot shoes. Not, not minimalist. Zero drop. Zero drop, flat sole, thin. So zero drop means from the heel to the toe, it's the same height. I think so. Right. I think that's what it means. Yes, I'm, no, I'm telling you. Oh, okay, you're talking, okay, <laughs> I'm yeah, telling okay. you. Then that's what that means. Yeah. yeah. So then there was a period of time where I would only wear those. And then I still have, it's been years since, you know, I have a more variety now, but like ever since that time, like I've been told many times that I walk differently. Yes. I walk really weird. I walk <laughs> kind of loud because just, you just get such a different stride. How long did you wear them for? Three years, maybe. And you were weird for the entire three years? No, no, I'm still weird to this day walking. <laughs> I mean, for other people's definition, because it's okay. just, that changes your stride so much. It changes stride, because when, when your foot lands, you don't land on the heel as that's much. That's right, that's right. So it changes your posture. And at the beginning, it's uncomfortable because you have to train different muscle groups. Oh, so, right. So I it, it changed my stride drastically because I run. Yeah. I don't know if you- I run a you little do. bit. You do, you do sometimes, yeah, yeah, bit, yeah. Right, so then it's like, you notice like, oh, my stride gets much shorter. Yes. Much quicker, lands yes. on the midfoot. Midfoot, And then yeah. apparently that's how I walk now. Even in non-barefoot shoes? Yeah. <laughs> So people still think you're weird? <laughs> I mean, maybe there's something else there, but okay. yes. Yeah. But anyway, it's a very noticeable difference. And I, yes. I, I do think it has kind of saved my kind of lower extremity health to some yeah, extent. Yeah, yeah. I, I think people should ex experiment with it, but probably not start running with it because you, if you're not used to it, it's, it, can, it can hurt. Oh, you can really fracture your You can your, really fracture your, your tibia heel. or yeah, fibula. If, you, if you're whatever the thing is called. So right. walk around and like I, I mostly use them for walking, mm. uh, for running. I still put on like runners just because really? I'm still not used, my feet are not strong enough. Oh, okay. But from walking, normal day walking, it's, uh, it's great. And my knee problem has been significantly improved. Tell me how you met your wife. I met her at a meetup event. Dot com? Meetup.com event, Those yes. Those things are uh, sausage parties, right? Uh, well, she was there. She was sitting at a different table and I saw her and I was like, hey, that chick is pretty hot. I won't go talk to her. But this poorly organized event, I was sitting at a different table with a bunch of other sausages, I suppose. Yes. So I stood up and I pretended to be the host 
of the event. So I walked in, I greeted everybody, and I walked over to the desk, and I started <laughs> chatting her up. And um, I, so it was supposed to have, there was supposed to be a dinner. And once the dinner was over, everybody was supposed to leave. And then I was like, oh, damn, I didn't get a chance to talk to this girl. So I went to the host who arrived a little bit late, and I said, hey, you should bring everybody to a bar or something like that. So nice. there's a chance for people to mingle. She was like, that's a great idea. And that's what she proposed. But then my now wife didn't go. She just left with her friend after it's like, this dinner. is so boring. I was very disappointed, so I left too. <laughs> and then I messaged her on Meetup like a month later and asked her off for coffee. And that's how we uh, connected later. On Meetup? Yeah. I was just like, I actually had gone back to the Meetup a couple of times thinking that maybe she'll come back. Yeah. That was the only one and only meetup she's ever been to. There's a funny there's a funny kind of metric about this, which is like, if you are really desperate to meet someone and then like you're crazy, yeah. what you'll do is you'll murder someone that they know because you'll be sure to see them at the funeral. <laughs> wow, this got dark and intense ah, all fast. Right. All right. It's just uh, just heard. <laughs> really? <laughs> not something that I planned. But okay. All right. Yeah. It's, not, it's not from personal experience. Not yet. <laughs> okay. And then here's something I also realized that you're touching on, which is that like everything can be a dating app. So don't tell me that you've never used one. I, I have used Tinder, yes. Oh, okay, okay. But in this specific situation, it was on meetup.com. And meetup. I, I, hadn't me I hadn't messaged anybody else. It was the first and only time for me. I didn't even think she would respond, but apparently somehow she did. Who messages somebody else like on meetup 30 days later and expecting a response? <laughs> 30 <laughs> days later. Yeah, uh, waiting because I thought she would come back and attend some of the other events. I do, believe, I do believe the normal response would be like, who are you again? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I was memorable. Uh, you, memorable enough. Well, you are. And you desperate are. enough. You are desperate Lonely and memorable. Enough to reach out. That's true. Every time we talk, it feels uh, invigorating, but it, I also come away with this feeling that you have some very strong kind of life principles that you live by. Perhaps. Maybe you'd like to share one or two of those as kind of a going away. Well, let, let, let me ask you this. Do you have any life principles? You answer a question with a question? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious from your perspective because you also seem to be a person of principle. Oh, well, do you know the story behind my tattoos? I know you went to Thailand, you got some tattoos. I regret that one, to be honest. <laughs> I don't regret Wait. the tattoo itself. I regret the execution. The execution. <laughs> yeah. What are the, What's the story behind the tattoos? Okay. So, they're, well, they're both stoic principles. Yes. You know that. Yes. So the first one is about uh, uh, accepting that we lack control. Yes. Which is there's an archer and this archer shoots his arrow three times, right? Yes. The first time he hits a bird, the second time the arrow gets struck by lightning. Yes. And then the third time the arrow gets hit by wind. But the archer's like, cool, that's fine because the archer did his best. Right. And then he knows that once he lets go of the arrow, it's like... You can't control anything. Right. And so that's basically an analogy for life that we can't control anything outside of our own behavior, uh, especially not other people, especially not outcomes that we get. So it's an archer. Then the second one that I have, the one that uh, I'm not pleased with, but I accept um, <laughs> because I can't control it. So yeah, I did my best. They're related. It's a skull. Yep. Right, and the skull is for memento mori, and that's like a, the stoic way of, uh, I hate this. I hate that it is this, but that's a stoic way of saying YOLO or carpe diem. Yes. Yeah. I will add, I have read a number of stoicism, stoic books in about two or three, four or five years ago. Yeah. One of them, one of my favorites that my dad recommended to me that I still read every once in a while is called The Guide to the Good Life. Oh. I forgot who the author I've, was. I've read that twice. Oh, I've read that like four times. Just, just It's a great book. It's so good. So maybe rather than being a principal, I guess I will add on to your skull tattoo. I think about death often in a positive way, as positive as I can think of it, which is we don't, we only have a limited amount of time. Like I said, to tie back to the story that I shared at the earlier part of this conversation with my friend passing away in his early twenties, mm. we really have no idea how long we're going to live. And when you, when I frame 
life through that context, it makes things more enjoyable. It makes waking up in the morning next to your wife more enjoyable. It makes going out to dinner, having great food more enjoyable. If you framed it through the thought that maybe this is the last meal experience that I'm going to have. I don't do this like every single second of the day, but on a weekly basis, maybe or a monthly basis, I try to remind myself it significantly makes you happier because yes. when you view things through, the, through that context, it, everything just gets put into perspective. So I guess maybe, I don't know if that's a principle, but it's something that I, I think, think so. about often. And uh, Well, let me ask you this. Do you resonate more with memento vivere or memento mori, right? So memento vivere is remember that we need to live and memento mori is remember that we all must die. Is there one that resonates more with you? Maybe the latter one? Uh, I, I will say though, about the YOLO thing that you mentioned. Yes. I, I heard the saying, which was like, live as if you were gonna die tomorrow, but plan as if you're gonna live forever. I don't mean to this to say, oh, for us to go and ah. do cocaine and stuff like that, because we're gonna be dead any day. Yeah. So there's ne there needs to be a, a balance, I think. So yeah. it's not, I, I don't think, I mean, people can read up on stoicism, but it's not definitely not YOLO, spend every single dollar you have <laughs> and do drugs because who cares? You're going to die anyway. Right. Yeah. Well, I look forward to meeting Ziggy. Zachary. Right, Zachary yeah. Zhang. Sorry. Yeah. Curry Zhang. Yeah. Thanks for being my pal, Mark. Thank you for having me here. Beep.